to episode 55 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, Frontline and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining us on this podcast today is... It's joining me, I should say. On this podcast today is Daniel and Kim. Hey! Hello, Wankers. Yes. Good day. Ah, <laughs> uh, well... Just thought I'd get one in there. Why not? Tony... Prue and Alison have uh, they're they're off doing their own thing at the moment, so they've got more important things to do apparently. <laughs> it's, it's not not a not a particular pop stars concert they're at or anything like that. Yeah, is that is that where they are? Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. No. <laughs> they're off doing their thing, but they'll be back in future episodes, I promise. So fan favorites will return. <laughs> It's not necessarily back chat, okay, but it is something which Alison has provided, really, and uh, it is a pedantry note because it's something that we all <laughs> forgot, okay? <laughs> oh. Yeah, and then when I've looked back at it, I've realised, oh, yeah, um, she's correct there. So what has happened is that at the end credits of One Big Family, from episode 54 or season to episode one of Frontline, right? At the end credits, it says uh, for Michael Hirsch, enormous penis. <laughs> totally missed that one. Yeah. So I did go back to the credits and it, it did show the words that is. <laughs> it's definitely. I just there. wanted to. There it goes. It's on the record. Yes, and yeah. If you end up going back to that episode and having a look at the credits, you'll see above Michael Hirsch. Enormous penis. <laughs> All right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it looks like it might be a bit of a short episode today because now it's time for Daniel Genie's program guide. Just something I noticed uh, in uh, the latest edition of the Green Guide from the 27th of July, 1995. And it's an article speaking to a comedy trio who are appearing on a new show on the ABC. It's on Thursdays at 11pm and it's called Something Hot Before Bed. It's, a, it's essentially um, yeah, a stand-up comedy show, very much in the vein of the big gig, but uh, perhaps a bit more intimate considering that it's being filmed at the, the Esplanade Hotel, the ESPY. Wasn't there one where it was around that time or might have been 1994? perhaps, but there was one that was a rumour of, of a comedy show, a late-night comedy show on the ABC, and something to do with Greg Fleet and maybe Tony Martin as well? I'm not sure about Tony Martin, but um, uh, the, the article is an interview with a group called New Joke City, and it consists of Matt King. Well, for me, he's, he's most popularly known as Superhands from Peep Show. Uh, he also had uh, a leading role in, I'm just trying to think about the name of the, it was an Australian drama series on Foxtel. I think it was called Spirited. So it was Matt King, uh, Greg Fleet and Marty Sheargold. Oh, Mr. Flashpot. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of interesting to see how they've sort of all, uh, how far they've come since they were in this uh, comedy trio. Maybe it might have been the Artie Donner of their day, I'm not quite sure. So I've never seen it, I don't think I recall it. What about yourself? No. Personally, I, I had no memory of it. I did a Google uh, for it. If you put in New Joke City and Melbourne, because there's some other American group called New Joke City that's got a good YouTube presence as well. But if you Google New Joke City and Melbourne, there's a sketch from the Melbourne uh, International Comedy Festival Gala, uh, 1994. Okay, now it makes sense because I do remember seeing something from the comedy festivals and Greg Fleet was part of a trio. Oh, check it out. Sydney yeah. Nolan. No, that's, that's uh, Ned Kelly, isn't it? Oh, right, yeah. Would have been any Sydney Nolan period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, hang on, boys, hang on. Check it out. Oh, oh wow. That is the biggest painting I have ever seen. That's amazing. That's amazing. Look at this, it just goes right up there, goes right around. Yeah. That's, That's insane. A... What, what, what's it called? Uh, this is Still Life with a Mandolin. 
Now I'm going to pull you up there, Fleety. Uh, still life with a mandolin if you can work the angles. If you can do the angle thing, it's sort of down. Oh, right, that's the one with the mandolin. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not moving at all. Not a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. still. Boys, boys. You, you, must, you must have been looking at the, uh, the wrong one, actually. This, this actually must be warm and friendly audience watching a hilarious show. Oh, wow. Gee, it's realistic, isn't it? It's, it's, it's very realistic. Wow. It is realistic up to a point. And you can probably work out how, how the rest of it goes from there. I actually found an article on it, which I had in my archives, and this is from the Sydney Morning Herald, and it says, at least Auntie can still manage a laugh with the launch of a new comedy series by capitalising on the degeneration's success of The Late Show. The ABC's Melbourne comedy production team is working on a late-night series for this ice-cold winter aptly titled Something Hot Before Bed. Is that what you've got? Not quite. Mine's from the age, um, I don't know whether yours is written by Wendy Toohey, but mine's written by Wendy Toohey. We hear from uh, Matt and uh, Greg, we don't hear a lot, well, we don't hear anything from Marty. Marty doesn't seem to to get a quote. So Matt says, uh, I've written for a couple of the more commercial comedy shows and the general thing I've found is they take an idea that's got a bit of an edge to it and they go, that's really funny. Then you see it on screen two weeks later and they've taken the edge right off it. They've kept the jokes, but everything you really wanted to say is gone from it. Says Fleet of the recent low spot in our Indigenous comedy viewing. It's a lot cheaper to put on an American sitcom than it is to make our own, so they, the networks, do. And the only sitcoms that seem to get up in this country at the moment are the ones we've seen come and go in a few months, as in the Bob Morrison show and shows of that ilk, which are just no good for anyone. The other frustrating thing is that if you went to any of the networks in Australia four years ago with the idea of Seinfeld, exactly the same idea, and it hadn't already been done in the States yet, no one would have touched it. They would have said, no way, it won't work. But then it gets done in Britain or the US and they put it on. So it's frustrating at that level. Like if I'd written Mad About You and taken it to someone here, they would have said, it's just about a couple, it's not funny. Put a stuttering Greek man in it and then it will be funny. Okay. Yeah, that's... So, <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean, considering uh, we can't find anything at all on the internet about something hot before bed, apart from it appearing in a whole bunch of resumes of uh, stand-up comedians. Well, shall I do a live tweet to Greg Fleet? Yeah, why not? Yeah, if you want to, yeah. All right, uh, so I'm right, what I'm doing now is at the Greg Fleet... Are you able to tell me anything about the show, quite something hot before bed? Did this come to fruition? Uh, another quote from the article. After some comedy series that Fleet says did not perform as well as the ABC would have hoped, Kits and Fahey, Three Men and a, and a Baby Grand, Something Hot takes up where the successful big gig left off. It goes one step further back in the direction of raw, real stand-up than Wendy Harmer and Friends by perching cameras in the airy of some of Melbourne's more avant-garde comics, uh, the Esplanade Hotel St Kilda. Fleet says Something Hot will give audiences the chance to see the generation of Melbourne comics coming up behind those who have already crossed into commercial TV. The other article that's in the, uh, the, the Green Guide, which I won't go through uh, in detail, uh, the, the cover story is talking about how um, there's a lot of safe comedy about and uh, they reckon to woo in the Gen Xs, uh, they're going to try a new kind of show hosted by Tim Ferguson called Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. <laughs> so that's, that's on the horizon, just to let you know. Ah, oh, geez, I wonder how far they'll go with that show. Although, mind you, it's a pretty good year for Tim Ferguson. You know, first uh, Funky Squad and now this. All right, so... uh, Okay, so here's the program guide. So I'll uh, start with Channel 7. Uh, It's another episode at 7.30 of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Uh, Season 2, episode 20, titled Individual Responsibility. It aired in the US back in April, so, you know, three months. That's fast-tracking you, 1995 terms. Yeah, starring. Certainly certainly (laughs) was. What was an average fast-track for, like, Simpsons or Seinfeld or something, usually? Like, Australia would be nearly a year behind. 
definite fast track then. <laughs> Superman probably delivered the VHS. <laughs> well, maybe maybe not this week. Uh, in this week's episode, one of the baddies discovers a new type of kryptonite that is red and not green. When Superman is, is exposed to it, he becomes apathetic and does not care about anything. Oh, wow. So, Do you remember that one, Matt? Because you said you had some vague memories only. Yeah, well, I did have the box set as well, and I had to offload those after constantly moving home. Uh, but then again, it does star future Andy the Talking Hedgehog star Dean Kane. And honestly, that is a real movie. Look it up. Oh, excellent. Lois sends him to a psychotherapist to help him out. Dr. Friskin, played by Barbara Bosson, believes that Superman needs a vacation because of all the stress he puts on himself. But during a session, the red kryptonite uh, that the baddies put in her office is found by Superman, and they realise that this is the reason for his behaviour. Well, he's eating red frogs, maybe. That could be the kryptonite. I've got nothing. I'm clutching at straws. Oh, that'd just help. <laughs> that'd just send him high. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't blame you. It's not much of a synopsis. I'll give you that. Hey, my, my red kryptonite is raspberry bullets. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> okay, over on Channel 9, uh, we had the Sale of the Century special last week, and this week we've got a Hey, Hey, It's Saturday special, uh, specifically Hey, Hey, By Request Number 3. Now, this is the, the listing in the, in the program guide of the Green Guide. Daryl Summers presents more memorable moments from Hey Hey It's Saturday, featuring impersonations of Professor Sumner Miller, Robin Hood, and Tiny Tim. Mm. Now, I'm pretty sure <laughs> they brought uh, this next um, thought up on Get This, but who is requesting that? Who is making those requests? And, and and remember, this this would have been the very early days of email. So, you know, like, dear Daryl Summers, I really want to see you doing your Professor Julia Sumner Miller impression. Regards, Daniel of Adelaide. <laughs> As one of the people who was using email in 1995, I can imagine the types of people who would be using email would be the types of people <laughs> asking for those things. <laughs> Uh, Robin Oliver in the Sydney Morning Herald Guide gives it uh, a big thumbs down. He says, These rehashed highlight packages started brightly but naturally grow thinner with each new edition. Most of the requesting seems uh, stems from uh, Nine's program department anxious to counter the popularity of Lois and Clark. That they will also renew interest in the Saturday edition seems a remote possibility. Oh, goodness gracious. Fast forward nearly 30 years later, the amount of best-ofs and... Hey, hey, it's mm. 50 years. Hey, hey, it's 100. But they've got their own streaming service. Well, yeah, if there's anything you want, you can just pay money for it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, six ninety-five. You don't have to have it by request. You can just have the whole bloody lot. All right, over on Channel 10, we've got Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. Hey. <laughs> so, uh, you don't have the late show's version, do you? <laughs> <laughs> healthy, Wealthy and Woggy. <laughs> mm. All right, so in this week's episode, Jim traces the last steps of Burke and Wills. Tonya meets folk artist Kate Coombe. There's a look at window tinting. Dare oh. I say it, maybe a darkened look. <laughs> Sorry. We visit Donny Brook. Mm. I know, it's such a stupid joke. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We visit Donnybrook in Western Australia and learn how to cook a leek tart. Everybody, we're going to Donnybrook. <laughs> and Lynn enrolls at the University of the Third Age. Goodness gracious. Wait a minute. If that was from 1995, that means she'll mm. be in her fourth age right now no <laughs> quite possibly I'm, I'm not, I, I, oh, I haven't no, I haven't no age at all I guess see, um, yeah if there's any sad news or anything like that <laughs> oh my god oh alright going to SBS now so uh, last week we, we had Defenders of the Wild looking at uh, activists uh, conducting a long campaign to, to save honey buzzards hawks kestrels and other birds of prey from being slaughtered by poachers in Italy now, I thought that was just a one-off. Turns out that it's a six-part series. Oh, goodness. So this week on Defenders of the Wild... I was going to say, is it like 
each episode refers to one breed of animal. So one episode is a rabbit. One another episode is a bird. One another episode is another type of breed. Quite possibly, because um, this week it follows the bid to protect the tigers of Thailand and Taiwan. So, you know, like I don't know whether that's a different group or the same group, but, yeah, there's uh, another few more weeks of uh, people defending uh, defending those who can't defend themselves, really, to be ah, quite frank. Well, there you go. So how about we get a best of and Defenders of the Wild by request? <laughs> <laughs> I'll start uh, buying stamps. <laughs> now I'm just starting to think, do they still have locked bag 028 open? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I, forget, I forget what suburb, but... Yeah, wasn't there a, uh, the the address you could write in, or you could phone them? You could phone a double oh double five number, couldn't you? Yeah, and leave a message and get it. You know, they'd play it. You know, in a in their own version of back chat. Well, I'm sure now, just because of budget cuts, they'll easily have a parcel locker down at the local Woolworths. <laughs> we'll uh, finish off at the ABC. So after Frontline at eight, Four Corners at eight thirty, and Media Watch at nine fifteen, we have the return of a British comedy series. It's the uh, continuing ad- adventures of Edina Monsoon and Patsy Stone. Any idea what that could be? Uh, yeah, there we I go. have absolutely no idea. <laughs> okay, so it's the premiere of the third season of Absolutely Fabulous. Um, and this was uh, originally aired back in March 1995. Again, that sort of uh, three to four months fast-tracking. So, uh, yeah, this is episode one of season three called Door Handle. Um, Adina's obsession with finding a particular door handle for the kitchen leads her and Patsy to to New York City, as you do, where Patsy persuades Adina to have her navel pierced. Again, it's it's sort of, it seems to be just an excuse to do a bit of location shooting. Yeah, and uh, Yeah, considering (laughs) the the, the popularity of Ab Fab, uh, you know, who can blame him? Yeah, if it appeals to the American audience as well. Yeah, it would, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's all I've got uh, for the program guide. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. Whose turn is it now to do the intro? I think Daniel's got a lifelong yeah, ambition I, I, I to wouldn't mind, do um, G'day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind putting my hand up for this one, just to see, see if, I, if I can say a really good G'day. Yeah, why not? All right, start warming up. Yep. Red well, leather, yellow leather. <clears throat> Red lorry, yellow lorry. G'day. G'day. Mate. Mate. And get those winks in. G'day or g'day? Oh, well, here goes Three, two, one. G'day. I'm Daniel G. And this is Frontline Season 2, Episode 2. Air date Monday, 31st of July, 1995. Working class man. Was my kid A alright? Yeah. Depends on what you mean by alright. <laughs> was, was it was it was it D enough? It was very G I D enough. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was looking at okay. this bottle of drink and it's so, got a clean yeah. sticker on it. It's, Gotta it's, love it's, a good bargain. Okay, so so it's a blue so, collar so worker. This, this may be somewhere between the A's and B's and the D's and E's. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is a bottle of Perrier. But it's one with a clear a, a reduced for quick sales oh, sticker on it. Um, <laughs> yep. This is a podcast on the budget, you know. That's uh, the only reason I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, got a very eighties vibe. Yeah, three three dollars thirty eight instead of four dollars fifty. Oh, oh God! As Daniel said about working class <laughs> men, the synopsis for this episode is Frontline attempts to boost its blue collar audience with Mike Moore taking on the unlikely role of a quote working class hero unquote or parentheses depending on how. Technical, you want to be with the quotes. <laughs> so, uh, thank goodness this podcast is not visual. Yeah. Working, working or working? Jimmy Barnes. You have to say it in the Jimmy Barnes voice. Well, <laughs> in the case, it actually says working. So, and in the mm. episode guide book of uh, Frontline, the story behind the story behind the stories, episode two it does say working class man. We are introduced to the tail end of a frontline broadcast with Mike covering the topic of realty and the stock market. And it turns out we were actually watching part of a focus group who think Mike's a bit of a wanker. And, and seems to reach that opinion very quickly. Certainly does. <laughs> 
See, it's kind of interesting how it, it just it goes from, you know, like he looks nice to no, up himself wanker. The demographics of that particular group, I mean, do they... Do you think they all fall from, fall into the same one or do you think they chose different types of demographics and they all came to the same conclusion? Yeah, because usually uh, with that demographic, uh, and I'm going to stereotype them, and that is when one does it, they all start doing it. So, yeah, he's a wanker. Yeah, he's a wanker. Yes, yeah, and follow through. I, I also like the, the slipping in there in the, in the general consensus that uh, Mike's got a head the size of the bloody MCG. <laughs> Actually, I forget if there's a bloody in there, but anyway, it's not in the script. With that, Inception style, uh, the new EP, uh, Sam, sorry, the enormous penis, Sam, uh, <laughs> is watching a video of the focus group. And so he's like, hmm, all right, there's some trouble going on here. Sam is played by Kevin J. Wilson, by the way, who has replaced a fired, I was about to say his real name by accident there. Uh, Brian. Brian, yes. Um, yeah, played by Bruno Lawrence. Now, we cut to Mike driving to the office from the airport in his Saab on the speakerphone uh, to Dom. Did they have speakerphones back then or was he just using his mobile? Well, it would I have guess, been uh... the mobile built into the car. So it would have been... Ah, uh, it's a proper car phone. Remember, we're about to find out he's pretty much... I mean, I mean there, was, there, there was you know quite a lot of mobile phones going about uh, around the Logies episode. And... The quality of it is exceptional, so have a listen to how clear Dom is coming in on the phone. What's the matter, Mike? Is there a problem? Yes, there's a problem. The flight back from Sydney this morning, I didn't get an upgrade. Now, I know it's a minor thing, small potatoes, but the bottom line is Mike Moore wasn't in first class. So here's the thing, right? Because of how clear Dom sounds, what went wrong with the technology that we have today? (laughs) Constant dropouts, (laughs) bad reception... That's where you get your telecom, mobile, net, digital. Yep, that's the difference between them. <laughs> yeah, so much better nowadays. I, I hope you can hear me all right. You're going through a tunnel, Daniel. Yeah, bloody NBN. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Emma are wrapping up the feedback from the focus group, and it's not pleasant about Mike. Uh, the viewership is categorised uh, into AB, brains and money, and DE, plumbers and blue-collar workers. Yeah, it's a pretty... Good explanation of the the demographics, really. Like, you know, explaining it to, well, the lay person, really. Yep, so D's and E's are the lifeblood of, of Frontline. Um, I noticed that Mike refers to F's, so I don't know if that's a, <laughs> something he just kind of just added another letter to the alphabet then just got lower and lower into the, the lower realms of working class. A current affair. So what was their demographic? What did they say? There is a a nice little dig towards its host there. Sam does say that Current Affair do a great job creating stories for the DE group. As long as as he says made unfair drinking a couple of times. Well, Current Affair do it. I do it well. How? Two things. The right kind of stories. The Aussie battler, the old age pensioner can't pay his gas bill and they make sure it's hosted by a regular bloke. Ray Martin's not a regular bloke. Must be on, what, a million a year? Two million. <laughs> Whatever, he is not a regular bloke. As long as he says mate and fair dinkum a couple of times each night, he's a regular bloke. Stone the crows. Fair shake of the sauce bottle. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, Account Affairs got uh, a very widely watched YouTube page, so you can see that, <laughs> um, yeah, there are, there, are, there are some stories that just never change. No. Yeah, it's pretty much the same formula today, isn't it? It's just with different people. Different people and watermarked videos. Yeah, watermarked videos that don't necessarily originate from them as well, I've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. So Sam decides, all right, we're going to have to tweak our stories just a little bit. So Mike arrives in the office with, oh, the next scene is brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. So Mike is walking up the stairway to reveal that it's actually the front of the frontline office on his mobile, still talking to Dom, and then it just seamlessly transitions into from talking on the phone to talking to Dom directly. So that's kind of like the set second meta reference because you had the TV, the focus group, and then the focus group, and then you've got the phone call and he's walking in on the phone. The fact that you're still ranting on from the airport. And they just, they just <laughs> hang up mid-conversation. A very wankerish thing to do. Mike catches up with Sam and Emma, in which Sam runs the categories over with Mike, trying to find out what he actually knows. 
the audience is the ABs and they should turf the DEs with the I know this is where I've picked up from the previous season with the art of gentle persuasion. <laughs> uh, mm. Sam leads Mike down the path of creating stories for the DEs. So you're saying we do a subtle repositioning? We skew, we skew the stories towards the Ds and Es. Skew? Yeah. Skew. Write that down too, Emma. How do you spell that? <laughs> I, again, you. I, I am seriously. This is another episode where I'm just absolutely crushing on Emma. So, oh, your your teenage crush, hey? <laughs> oh, honestly, that just the the way that Emma like it, she proves how strong she is in the previous episode, but it's just the subtlety of just the smirk and just letting Mike be his own person type thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, but it's just strength, power. That's all I can say, really. Mm. Marty's in the car park and having an angry call on the phone. And it uh, turns out that he's actually losing money in a business scheme involving ostrich farming. Now, out of frustration, he does kick a Saab, which turns out to be Mike's car, and the alarm goes off. It's got a very good alarm considering that it's able to detect somebody kicking it. It's show prep time, and with Sam explaining the blue-collar story concept, the budget is coming up. Oh, how thrilling the budget and instead of getting an analysis from Canberra, Canberra, uh, get Marty to grab Vox Pops instead. Why say we send Marty into a typical pub, find out what yeah. the average punter's thinking, all right? He's got the perfect one, Blazers. An old school buddy of mine. Sorry, sorry, what's up? It's uh, just a bit trendy. No, it's not, no. They deliberately went down market. They spent a fortune doing it. It's even got a billiard table saying. <laughs> It needs pokies if it's going to be uh, decent east. So what is um, in the, the front line story behind the story, what's the bio of um, Mike maybe? Just a quick reminder. Do they actually describe him as this kind of private school? Good point. All right. Well, I'll go back. Bloke. To... Not bloke. <laughs> the true blue Aussie larrikin. Just to go back on the character profile with Mike, as you were asking, Kim says here that Mike's not far off from having the label, quote, survivor, unquote, applied to him. He's been behind Frontline Desk now for quite a few years. In the early days of real life, he contemplated sitting on the Frontline Desk, but he's now glad he's stuck to the chair. With the wisdom born of spending five nights a week watching major world events roll through, out, th- roll through an auto queue. Mike likes to think of himself as a veteran of the industry. Concerned, warm, approachable, hard-hitting, poignant. He can provide a look to match any of those adjectives, but he's still a dreamer. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Yes. (laughs) With all his success and undercover car parking facilities, Mike's arranged to have his tapes of his hard-hitting interviews, including the controversial Kamal (laughs) walkout. Uh, shipped to the producers in the States. Unfortunately, his executive... I was about to say enormous penis. uh, Executive (laughs) producer has arranged for the tapes to be bulk erased before they leave the country. So, yeah, there's nothing really in that. That that, that actually describes Prefect perfectly, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess so. Thanks for that. (laughs) That's okay. We've got to get you a book. Yes, one day. I'll I'll keep looking on eBay. Now, Emma has a story for Brooke. It's spotlight on a typical suburban family, married with kids, mortgage, trying to deal with the cost of living, a typical day. Hmm. (laughs) It's not far from what's going on right now, is it? So Mike is reading the BRW and finds a story about the ostrich farming enterprise and how people may lose their life savings. And Marty is one of them, which they don't actually know about. But uh, Marty, oh, man, he just he looks permanently stressed, doesn't he, and exhausted? Mm. Yeah, and then is assigned to do to do a story on on his own company. Yeah, just sitting there chewing his nails, wondering. Uh, he's trying to reach over and grab the the magazine and try and stop them, but yeah, fails. Meanwhile, Dom tells Mike that his car alarm is going off. Those bloody subs. So Jeff and Mike are having lunch in Jeff's office. Fakasha, anyone? Fakasha? No, I've got a sandwich. I love yeah. those lines. <laughs> <laughs> I was remembering, because um, 
Fakashas were kind of they hit mainstream status in the nineties, I think. And there's a <laughs> there's an article saying it was from three years ago saying that sourdough is out and Fakashas back on the table. <laughs> so usually and, uh, in tandem with sun dried tomato. Yes. Yeah. So in the 90s, according to this delicious article, when focaccia hit the mainstream, the flatbread was commonly used to make deli-style sandwiches. The puckered crust was stuffed with pesto, bocconcini, and marinated vegetables, or perhaps chicken and avocado, then grilled until molten in a cafe press. So apparently um, the olive oil sponges are now rising again, restocking the pitted loaves. Restaurants are adding doorstops of garlicky focaccia to the bread basket with a little pool of olive oil on the table. So. <laughs> I'm hungry now. Thanks. <laughs> Mike and Jeff do talk about the change in the story direction that the show is taking in a subtle way. Skew. We're skewing the show. Yeah. See, that's, we're skewing and subtle. See, that's the beauty of it all. Yeah, and it's such a pity that people are just going to think that it's a cynical thing. Cynical? Yeah, it's not it's cynical. Good... It's not cynical. No, I'm not saying not that it is. I'm saying people might think that it's cynical, but it's not. It's not cynical. I love the fact that the conversation throughout the entire time that he's in the Jeff's office, Jeff just keeps digging himself a hole because he doesn't want to offend Mike. Yep. Well, and just, then, just by saying the truth as well. Yes, yeah, exactly. He's, he's said it like it is and, and Mike knows that and he's taken that that very word over to uh, to Sam later on. Sam convinces Mike that there's nothing cynical at all going on and encourages him to drop a few subtle words just, you know, in these conversations on air, such as mate, bloke, kids. That seems really weird, although I suppose it would be weird saying children. I've got to go home to the wife and children. <laughs> there was this uh, the kids show called Come On Kids. Do you remember that one in the in the 80s? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Films in Adelaide, definitely I know yeah. that one, yeah. It's Winky yeah. Dink, yes. yeah. I still well, remember, I remember the they when I was watching it as as a kid, they interviewed. <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but it was an old lady, and she was saying, "I don't like the name of your show because you should call small children children, not kids." That doesn't work. Though. <laughs> come on, children, yeah, have yeah, some yeah, fun. Yeah, come on. Yeah, come on, children. Sounds worse. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it was that little duck, wasn't it? That yeah, Winky Dink. <laughs> yeah. The place is now and we are one. Come on, kids, and have some fun. Now to laugh much more too. Yeah, come on, kids, it's all for you. Come on, kids, we're all kids. Come on, kids, come on, come on, come on, kids, come on, come on, come on, come on, kids, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, it's nice to see you today. Yeah, but you can't guess what day it is. It's Tuesday. It sure oh, is. Oh, you got it right. I did. <laughs> and remember, Winky, on yesterday's show, you spoke to Bobby McFerrin. He was a man who provided all the sounds of an orchestra. Yeah, guess what? He's coming back in to show for us today. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it said Bobby so McFerrin. So was that 1989 ish? Bobby McFerrin? No, that 1986. Oh, 86. Huh. No, it can't be the Bobby McFerrin, can it? <laughs> As in, don't worry, no, I thought, be happy. It is. I thought it must be because he was talking about how he's using his voice and. Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Do, 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 don't worry. Boop boop. Be happy. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it can't be because Bobby. Uh, don't worry, be happy. Came out in ninety ninety eight. Eighty nine. No, sorry, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Oh. But it would have been kicking around in eighty six, wouldn't it? Yeah, so maybe, maybe, come on, kids was you know, oh. his breakthrough when he became famous. Yeah, here, here <laughs> we go. Yeah, on it. So that he was not also known before his uh, "Don't Worry, Be Happy" song. Uh, his he was famous enough to be in Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. There we go. He recorded the theme, the opening credits of season four of the Cosby Show. So he was like Michael uh. Winslow. Yeah, like a musical Michael Winslow. Yeah. That's me trying to do it. I don't know. And failing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what we're talking about? Frontline. That's right. Yeah. 
Kate tells Brooke that the model blue-collar family for her story live 23Ks northwest of her favourite posh cafe. <laughs> so, yeah, quick little ribbing how, just how out of touch Brooke is with the whole DE market. I, I also love a, a bit which must surely have been improvised. I mean, it's certainly not in the script, but it certainly seems like something that was just added on at the end, which is Brooke saying to the person on the phone, are you there? Yeah, I just uh, heard a crap joke. Yeah, we go, yeah. <laughs> and Jan tells Sam and Emma that it won't be easy transforming Mike's image. It's just not that easy, Sam. What? A slight change of image? Normally not a problem, but with Mike it's difficult. No matter what we do, he still comes across as some sort of private school prefect. He is. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of the D-Gen uh, satanic sketches part where they're doing the, um, they're playing the song, the, the band, the hydrofluorocarbons. What's the problem, Hugo? I'll tell you what the problem is, Derek. What credibility will this band have if we're all grinning away like a pack of ex-private school prefects? But we are. Shut up! Uh, so that's where that comes from. <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. Because it's always a line or a phrase you could just hear a throwaway and there's a reference later on to something else, which... Spoiler alert, I won't mention it now, but it's you always get that throwback of something from the D generation. I don't think this was on mm. purpose, but that's, that's the first thing that I thought of. I just love the way Genevieve Moy spits out that, that alliterative private school prefect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do they make him look a lot more working class? Well, they should interview a sports bloke. Mike has a photo shoot with his Saab as well uh, until Sam points out how is he going to relate to the D's and E's with an $18,000 sports car. God, (laughs) $18,000. Well, yeah, in this day and age, that would be related. An $18,000 car would be. Mm. Yes, (laughs) today. Yes, (laughs) this was obviously nearly 30 years ago. A new idea, though, skew the idea slightly and get Mike to pose with Marty's car, the Holden. Good old working-class Commodore. Very football, yep. meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. So Kate has some background info for Marty on the Ostrich Company with Marty looking worried as all hell. I'm feeling very sorry for him at this time. On on another planet, according to the script. Mm. There's issues with the eggs and it sounds like a complete disaster. And Marty decides to follow the story up. And Kate has no idea that Marty's involved in it. But I love how he just goes mm-hmm. straight to the phone and already knows the number to dial without looking at Kate's research. Dale, it's me. You talked me into it. Now get me out of this mess. Poor bastard. And they picked the name Dale out of all of the names they, they could have uh, picked. Hey, Dad, dug another hole. <laughs> it's fell out of water. The ostriches are falling in there and they're carking it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think of when yes. I just see the name Dale. Sorry to any if there's any Dales out there listening. No, you're not being stereotyped at all. <laughs> In the studio, though, Mike loves Sam's new intro to appeal to the D's and D's. G'day, I'm Mike Moore. Thanks for joining us. What did you say? I said, g'day, <laughs> I'm Mike Moore. Did you say g'day? I said, g'day. Can you say good day? That's what I'm saying. But you know, in there, Tim. Hey, do you want me to throw in a wink at the start? No, I think there might be a little too blue collar. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh yeah, skewered. Good day. I'm Mike Moore. Thanks for joining us. Sorry, Sam. Couldn't resist. That's okay, mate. Okay, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so stilted and cringy. I love it. The, 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 the other thing I like from that scene is the the, the swapping out of the, the pen that Mike's holding. Oh. Oh, did he have like an expensive fountain pen or something? <laughs> well, see, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether it might have been a nod to, um, you know, Kerry O'Brien who would always have that sort of green biro back in the 730 report days. Oh, look, the paper, mate. The kilometrico. Or was it a I'm bit? not sure what brand it was anyway. Not that they would have been able to say it on the ABC, mind you. Hmm. Hold on. I'm now going to look up uh, the pen. I'm more of a big crystal myself. You know what? That doesn't help. I just typed in green pen and came up with a bunch of... <laughs> a bunch of links to Officeworks and Amazon and the like, I'm guessing. Yeah, I do remember. Green pen 1990s. 
Yes. <laughs> I did have one of those in high school. I actually asked for one for Christmas from my grandparents because I was always into my drawing. Ah. So I used to have a set of Derwent's and Faber-Castell's. So Derwent's for the lead pencils mm. and Faber-Castell's for the colour pencils. And when it came to pens to writing in school, the uh, the standard Bic ones, the uh, clear plastic ones, always hurt my fingers. And I'm left-handed. I don't know. That doesn't really make any difference. But I had asked for the, the green one, the, the green ones that you see on TV, the Kerry O'Brien pens, as you say, just to see why is it featured on TV a fair bit. And it was a little bit more comfortable. You should have asked for the little spongy thing you can slip over the pen. It's like a little finger grip. I did that, oh, but I God, couldn't. I got, got trauma for that. I'm, I'm left-handed as well. They try to get me to write, quote, properly, but when you're left-handed, you, you just write at that weird angle because it's that's how you that's how you find it comfortable to write left and right. There's no need for this triangle crap. So, Kim, the struggle is real so, for us. Oh, it is, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. That, that's why I'm, yeah. Yeah. I smudge. Got the sm- <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have to take your word for it. I'm right-handed. North Pole over here. Uh, so. South Pole through and through. We're awesome. <laughs> I hope this doesn't cause a rift in the podcast. Oh, are you left or right? <laughs> Non-political. So, <laughs> <laughs> Team yes, left. I, I, I write centrist, yes. <laughs> yeah, more like ambidextrous. Yes. I, mean, I, make, I make sure when I write <laughs> that the words don't slant either way. Just straight up and down and across. You can do that, but when we write, we just tend to... Well, pencils are our worst enemy. Lead pencils, because mm. as you write, you smudge. You just leave a silver trail across the paper. That's why it, it was just like we used to... Well, in primary school, occasionally you would have these like half a glove type things that you would put on. So when you could write, this is when you... I don't know if you had it when... When you were in primary school, Kim, but no, no, <laughs> I did not have it, a glove. I think it was because I always had that silver trail on my hand from the lead pencil, and the I think it was maybe it was just me. I think I was uh, special, and they had like <laughs> that you gave me. Uh, I think designed a half a glove, so it looked like it came from um, like a what special writing glove. Yeah, in, mm, because sounds quite uh, bespoke. Yeah, I, I smudged my writing badly, and when I used to draw, it would be uh, I'd ruin my sketches. Oh yeah, that that still happens. And and if you if you're writing with a pen that's wet, like on a card or something, you're writing you, you make it special for someone, and then you realise you've smudged the entire message on there. Calligraphy <laughs> so is happens. a nightmare. <laughs> 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 with those dip it in pinks, and it's like a. You know, just yeah, the, they do make left-handed calligraphy pens, pens, but they're you know they cost like twice as much or something. So there's, it's not, uh, not worth discrimination. Oh. Yeah, I've got this uh this here this big pen with the four colours on it. So there's green on there, but um, ah. I'm, I'm imagining that green never gets used. Like if I took these out, it would be <laughs> you'd see you'd see green <laughs> would be all the way at the end, and I don't know. When you say green pen, it's not actually. Green, green, is it? It's just coloured. The actual outside is green, or is the ink green? No, the ink coloured is green. Blue. I think. Uh. No, no. Well, the pen on the outside. Uh, the barrel. The barrel is green. Yeah. So the Kerry O'Brien pen is green, but when you write, the ink is mm-hmm. blue or could be black. Ah, uh, yes. My one, I remember it being blue, and you know, especially with those uh, standard pens as well. You know where you get the cap. This is with the big pens. And mm. you would put it on the edge of the table of your desk at school and you would flick it. D- didn't you do that? To be fair, I wasn't that precious about needing to keep my lids. No, no. <laughs> Not necessarily keeping the lids. It would be that the, the tail part where you would clip it into your shirt or your pocket or whatever like that and uh, you would get to the edge of it. Oh, I wish I had a pen here that would I would do it. And you just put it on the edge. Uh, hold on. If I show you the picture of it. I know what you mean. It's the little, it's the pen's got the little kind of long bit to it. Yeah. I've, I've, heard, I've heard of flicking your bick, but that's usually lighters, not pens. I'm sorry for going on a tangent there. The next day, <laughs> Stu, Jace, and Brooke T 
turn up at the struggling blue-collar household for their story with Brooke not really enthusiastic about it uh, because it, to her it was like the slums. Yeah, I think she just before they went in she said it would be screaming kids, instant coffee and stained carpet and I, I think she was pretty spot on. Well, I've got the instant coffee and the stained carpet. Don't have the kids though. No, me either. Oh, did she not say screaming kids? I thought she said screaming kids. Maybe, maybe oh, no, I just imagined no, them no, screaming. No, 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 uh, Adelaide, like it's not that not that far west out of Adelaide. Well, I'm in a West Sydney. Yeah, okay, but sort of in a West Adelaide is sort of it's not it's not as blue collar as actually is in a West Sydney blue collar. Were you are you in a West Sydney? No, sorry, I'm <laughs> in not, a West. I, I'm, I'm West you're, Sydney. You're just I'm West Sydney. You're West Sydney. Yeah, yeah West Sydney would be more blue collar. But in in a West is. I mean, spe- speaking spe- speaking for for myself, I, I live in in a West Adelaide, and sort of the only sort of issue that's been cropping up is that the Adelaide Crows want to move um, uh, to a, a nearby oval and build a facility, and there's basically a very vociferous anti-development group. Who just wants the nearby park to stay as it is? Ah. Yeah, I've got a similar similar thing going on with the golf course near me that where potentially they want to reclaim some of it to build indoor sports stadiums and things. You know what you can do to uh, make sure that the park doesn't get touched? Put asbestos in the mulch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then it would just get all dug up. <laughs> then it build apartments on it, which is even worse. But back in the office, <gasps> guess who's back? Did you notice? I wasn't even looking. Is there? Yeah. I thought, I, I, thought, I, I thought it was only a purely season one thing. He was there. Colin Conacher. Was he? Yeah. He was there for roughly two to three seconds fixing a photocopier. That's just enough time for him to photocopy his bum then. <laughs> Bake it in a cake. Uh, so, yeah. Bake it in a focaccia. <laughs> Put it in a focaccia. <laughs> yeah, he's there. I didn't even notice yeah. it until I was re-watching it again to um, get all my notes down because I watched the episode about three times and uh, I saw him on the second watch and went, oh, I missed it the first time. So uh, there you go. Marty does have a word with uh, Sam in the kitchen about the ostrich story and Mike congratulates Marty on his fine research on the ostrich farm because Mike found some uh, associated documents within... Marty's car. So he's like, hey, great research, right? I don't know how you yeah. found the inside. You need to be an insider for this. How, who do you know? <laughs> and he doesn't twig. It's just like constantly congratulating Marty for the hard work. <laughs> no. Oh, he's so naive. Maybe it's because Marty is somewhat an investor, Mike, but, you know. And Emma hooks in Merv Hughes as the sports person for Mike to interview. Fantastic. Merv Hughes. Oh, M. He's blue ribbon, blue collar. That doesn't make sense. Mm. When you write out Mike's questions, <laughs> make sure he looks like an old mate of Merv's. Got right? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Mike. I've got an yeah. interview with Merv Hughes. Great. <laughs> Cricketer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his mate Graham would be rolling in his, or just be restless to hear that. <laughs> he's not. He's not. Not in his grave yet. No. <laughs> Now we're at, back at the blue collar home and Brooke tries to map out the family's movements for the camera. And guess who is playing Gwen? Yeah, Linda Gibson. Yeah. The late Linda Gibson, unfortunately. She puts in a, a stellar performance. How are we going to afford to pay for all this? Great. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, get your hand off it, Daryl. Very D's and E's. Yeah. Well, you know what the <laughs> funny thing is, though, right? Uh, well, her name is Gwen... The husband's name is Daryl. Again, I think I think I think they've always had these names just floating around, Dale, waiting for something to to uh, to to come up. Yeah, yeah. And this won't be the last time that we see Linda Gibson in Frontline. She will turn up in a much larger role in season three. Yeah, 
We cut to the studio where Mike's interview with Merv Hughes goes extremely well. Come on, mate, you're a whacker. Always were, always will be. Yeah, I don't mind a bit of a laugh. Well, don't forget, you still owe me that beer the next time we play 18 holes down Werribee way. No worries. Mind you, you better swing a club better than the last time you did. Anyway, mm. Merv, thanks for your time. Not a problem, mate. Thanks, mate. Cut, that was great. Thanks, thanks Mervyn. Not a problem. Now, I don't mean to be rude, but have we actually met before? <laughs> mate and <laughs> Mervyn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, how awkward. Mate. Yeah. Back at the blue collar home, they keep switching scene to scene with this. Gwen isn't the performer that Brooke hoped that she'd be. How are we going to afford to pay for all this? Cut. But I left a beat. You looked at the camera, actually. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. What would you know? You just got to sit there. You don't have to do anything. Anyway, what are you looking at the bills for? You haven't seen a bill in your life. You've been down the pub all day. I'm That's like very Sylvanian waters on a budget. Yeah, what's what's the bet that they were still filming? Brooke walks away feeding the baby. Yeah. Well, they've got lots of bananas on there. They're, 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 they're not that... Well, I don't know how much bananas were back then. <laughs> they've got a lot of bananas there. Oh, they'll be because of the commercial, that banana na 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 Make those banana. Oh, come on. But that was from the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, very long running. Mm. Yeah. I, I can't stand bananas. I hate bananas. When I drive past the big banana at Coffs Harbour, that's like hell for me. <laughs> After the Mervyn Hughes interview goes to air, it's time for the Friday night funny man himself, Elliot Rhodes, with a song on the budget. Well, the rich are getting richer and the poor can only bitch about the way this country's going down the drain. Well, the yuppies all send faxes, we're just getting taxes and I tell you, it's the government to blame. Budget blues, workers lose, it's a struggle just to keep the family home. You can tax the wife, might even get me out of strife, but you better leave my beer and smokes alone. There you go. <laughs> Apart from that line about yuppies sending faxes, uh, yeah, not much has changed between uh, then and now. Yeah, they even <laughs> mentioned cost of living in this episode, don't they? Yeah. Now, every, t- every time a current affair does a, a, a story about cost of living, it's, it's, it's going to make me think about this episode. Well, just watching this, if it wasn't for the fact that it was in 4x3 and it's got data technology, this episode holds up today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially with, say, the business scams, like the ostrich farming one. They could easily translate to anything that goes on today, say, I don't know, maybe Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or... There's been a hell of a lot of companies going into administration as well. Yes, exactly. So this episode is just... Perfect. It really, really holds up. Mm. Oh, and go swans as well. So <laughs> that throws Mike off a little bit. So what would, what did it originally say on the auto queue that they crossed out? I didn't pay attention to it, so feel free to go back and do a screen grab of it. It was just more the, the look on uh, uh, the look on Mike's face, uh, realizing he's got a bit more to say that he hasn't seen before. You would think he would be professional enough to just not look so rabid in the headlights. Mm. Oh, I can see what it says now. So he, it actually originally says, have a good weekend, or should I say, have a good weekend. Ah. <laughs> so. Don't forget the arrow guard. <laughs> yeah. Now, after the weekend, Marty confesses to Sam why he does not want to do the ostrich story. Dom has the latest TV Week issue with a page on Mike at the Swans game. Go Swans. And <laughs> he's also been booked in to appear on Rex Hunt's fishing show. Tell us about the game. TV Week would kill me if this got out, but I wasn't actually there. Really? No, no. The spectators are models. They hide them. Why didn't you just go? Oh, too crowded. And the sort of people go to the footy, they would have been recognised me wanting my autograph and all the yobbos and stuff. <sighs> All the yobbos. <laughs> Haven't heard that term for a while. And then, yeah, the next thing is a courier coming in, delivering something for Mike Moore and not recognising him. Literally literally what he was talking about, you know, everybody wanting my autograph. Mike, as he signs it? I love I love that that just juxtaposition. Yeah, he makes a, a great effort to ju- just pronounce his name as he's signing it as well. <laughs> But the courier just doesn't care and walks straight out again. Sam tears Marty a new one over the ostrich scheme. 
but he does have an idea. It's got blue collar stamped all over it. It's got bankruptcy stamped all over it, Sam. We can't do an expose. <laughs> you said it had to be an expose. For a nation that's always ridden on the sheep's back, it may well come as a surprise that so many of our farmers are going to the birds. That's a great story. It's a good fluff piece. And there's there's every ochre cliche in it. Pouring the sand through the hands and there's Marty and his dryzer bone. On one knee. So Marty's ostrich story does go to air, skewing the blue-collar worker, and the results... Mandastasio with that ad. Silly bugger. I had to save his ass. I made it clear I wanted them out of the scheme by tomorrow. But our viewers aren't all that bright. Won't they be sucked in? That's what I'm counting on. You know, that ostrich thing, I mean, when you think about it, feathers, leather, meat, eggs, I mean, I wouldn't mind investing in that. The beak. (laughs) The beak. (laughs) (laughs) They decide to celebrate their uh, wicked skewing by doing a very, very working-class activity. (laughs) Yes, a swanky dinner. (laughs) But Mike notices an autograph hunter who goes to Brooke instead... (laughs) Marty's story has gotten him out of the woods, thank goodness, uh, investing-wise, as other suckers have taken his place. Yes, suckers. Uh, Mike, distracted by the autograph hunter, tells Marty that he invested $10,000 into the business thinking it was actually a good idea because it's a good story that uh, Marty did. Now, Jan makes a toast to Mike for his appearance that's broadcasting as they speak on Rex Hunt's fishing show. I see you got all the gear there, Mike. One of these high-flying fly fishermen. What's a rod like that worth? Well, this is the latest Loomis, Rex. I imported it directly from America. It's actually about two grand. Now, I find this absolutely hilarious, the fact that they got Rex Hunt in. Fantastic. Or T-Rex wasn't available. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> But Rex had... Uh, he was wearing his beanie with Shimano written across it. Yeah, who says you can't advertise on the ABC? Yeah, the whole bit actually is pretty good and you could just see that it's like a early hallmarks of not Mike just knowing him stuff but Rob tapping into his fly fishing passion as well for maybe yeah, a future show. Yeah, I was kind of wondering whether he might have just bought this stuff for himself and decided, well, I've got to try and um, <laughs> you know, try, try and work it into Frontline somehow to get a, you know, a bit of a tax benefit. <laughs> well, now when we eventually get to a river somewhere, we're going to have to look for... Hold on, maybe we just played it again. Well, this is the latest Loomis, Rex. I imported it directly from America. It's actually about two grand. A Loomis? An American we're Loomis? we to try and work out whether it's a Loomis or perhaps even an ugly stick. Yes. So, See, the thing about the ugly stick is that it bends right on itself. <laughs> That's the only thing I know about the ugly stick, and, yeah, it's because of the castle. It's the only reason I know that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Here we go. Uh, hold on. Let me just go straight to the thing. Let's just see. where This is some of the things that Mike does mention, but... Let's see if they actually appear in these things in a river somewhere down the track. So I'm going to have to revisit this bit later because Mike's <laughs> saying, I was staying, believe it or not, in a castle in Scotland with friends who got me hooked, as it were. <laughs> Since then, it's been a hobby that's taken me all over the world. And Rex goes, what's your favourite hotspot? Mike says, oh, there's a couple off the coast of Florida, Argentina, of course, New Zealand. I remember once we took a chopper. We're going to have to have a look through the through the uh, River Somewhere DVDs to try and see, yeah, whether they went to Florida, Argentina, New Zealand and uh, a Scottish Castle and whether they took a chopper. Well, I know that in one of the episodes of River Somewhere, they actually do go to New Zealand, but I don't know how they mm. got to the location. Did they go via chopper? So we'll find out in a couple of episodes' time. In the future... Champagne Comedy Podcast podcast. Anyway, so uh, after that bit with Rex, uh, and I actually did reach out to Rex as well to appear on the podcast, uh, but unfortunately he was not available um, due to an illness. So uh, That would have been dizzy stuff. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, he, you know, there was a risk of us sounding very cheap, nasty, and downright boring. <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> But as the Rex Hunt uh, fishing show special with Mike goes on, uh, we are seeing Gwen and Daryl sitting on the sofas with Daryl calling Mike a wanker before turning the TV off. And the end credits, 
instead of the usual frontline theme, it is Jimmy Barnes' working class man playing over it. Yeah, I think we've got a bit of that uh, here. That's how Mike M- Moore would sing it, right? <laughs> He's a legend in his time. Running like a cyclone across that wild Midwestern sky. Oh, 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 oh. He's a working class man. He believes of course, yeah, this isn't Jimmy Barnes, this is Jimmy Hannon from uh, one of the early musical mix-ups. He did his time in Vietnam, still mad at Uncle Sam. He's a simple man with a heart of gold in a complicated land. Oh, he's working as me. <laughs> love it, love it. Now, just 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 quickly, um, there is there is a slight difference to the ending in the script book. So, uh, yeah, on on the episode, uh, Daryl turns the the TV off, uh, as it were. But in the script, he changes the channel, and we hear Ray Martin say, "G'day, thanks for joining us." Mm, it yeah, it does too. I just noticed that in the book, Daryl Wanker, he flicks the remote over to Ray Martin. Ray, on screen, g'day. Thanks for joining us. That's great. I only just noticed that. Thanks for putting that out. I mean, who knows what the reason is uh, that they, they didn't include it. I mean, I don't think it could have been that maybe they were trying to get Ray himself to uh, supply the one line. That or maybe the, yeah, rights, maybe the rights for getting Jimmy Barnes' working class man, <laughs> the actual song on the credits maybe blew the budget. To try and get Ray on, yeah, not yeah. Not, yeah, not enough to pay Ray. Yeah, yeah, it could be people might not have recognised the voice, and um, yeah, it didn't need to put that bit in. And just on that song, uh, "Working Class Man," everybody thinks of it as an Australian classic, but it was not written by an Australian. Oh, okay. Who's it written by? Jonathan Kane, uh, who was in the Babies and Journey. He was the keyboardist for Journey. Ah. Don't stop believing. So uh, Jimmy Barnes said of the song, most people thought it was written about me, but it was actually written about my audience, staunch, honest people who work and who care. Yeah, Working Class Man was uh, released in 85 in Australia. Uh, In 86, uh, Lacey J. Dalton uh, released a version in the US that reached number 16 in the US country charts. Well, that's pretty neat. And, of course, as uh, Adam Hills proved in uh, 2003, you can sing the Australian National Anthem to it. He did this at the Melbourne Comedy Festival in 2003, released as a single for charity the following year. If they weren't going to use Jimmy Barnes' Working Class Man on it, they could have used this version. There we go. But I did think, though, because when they had Working Class Man playing instead of the theme, I had a technical glitch on my DVD when I watched it. Working hard to make a living. Oh, God. Hello, I'm Mike Moore. Welcome to Frontline. Like a dance room. 
I'm sorry, everyone, for if your ears bled during that. <laughs> One more thing, though. During the credits, I don't know if you noticed this or not. I did, so it's... Pedantry. With Linda Gibson, right, playing Gwen, as we've pointed out. Mm-hmm. Linda's name is spelt incorrectly. Oh. Yes. Look at it next time. It's uh, spelt with L-I-N-D-A. Her proper spelling, L is L-Y-N-D-A. Instead of L-Y. Yeah, when you see that, there we go. That's double pedantry. That deserves a disco pedantry. Just before we go, um, I think there's only sort of one word to describe this episode because I certainly heard it, uh, well, to my count, nine times. If you can just play that montage. No wonder people think you're a wanker. I beg your pardon? People might think that you're a wanker. Sorry, time out. You could take any group of people, ask them what they think of Mike Moore, and I very much doubt you'd hear the word wanker. He's a wanker. 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 Yeah, wanker. Let me read you a few random comments from the focus group. Wanker. Were there any negatives? Wanker. Nice. (laughs) Welcome to... Wanker, the podcast. Yeah, I've got no no idea how many times I've said wanker uh, on this podcast. Maybe maybe more than nine. But uh, yeah, nine wankers in that episode. Not quite 20 sheds, but uh, there you go. <laughs> nice little... Re- yeah, I, that was, Look it up. I got that reference. All right, that concludes Frontline Season 2, Episode 2 and the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 55. Yay, we made it. And it was just the three of us. Hooray. Just the three of us, yeah. Yeah. Just the three yeah. of us. Um, so <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm now just full of adrenaline for some reason. This just might be a short episode. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, lots of editing out of <laughs> oh. <laughs> talking about pens. Or, or, well, well, that was vaguely interesting to left-handed people. I will. Yes, exactly. Leftists. (laughs) Um, Now, I will say, though, I'm just checking up on my tweet and that I sent to Greg Fleet during this this recording, and he has not responded in time. So uh, he may respond in a future thing, but until then, he didn't make the cutoff time for this podcast. So feel free to email us, champagnelateshow at gmail.com. Check these episodes' show notes for all our socials because there's just too many, and I'm sure that we've probably joined another five more by the time you've Mm. heard this episode, as well as search on Facebook for Champagne Comedy Podcast uh, Group. And don't forget to, if you think that we deserve a coffee of sorts, you know, Buy one for a mate. Buymeacoffee.com slash TLS Champagne Pod. So other than that, I just want to say thank you for joining, coming on, <laughs> Daniel and Kim. Thanks. And uh, I, and also you, Thanks, the listener. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> See you, wankers. I'm Matt. Well, <laughs> I'm Matt. Thanks for listening. Catch you next episode. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions. MattFulton.com.au. Wanker. I mean, I-